is there an industry or anything that you would you would say is more affected or you know someone like restaurants for instance you know, I can't think of anybody probably more affected from covid than at restaurants anything stand out as far as who should uh, we be kind of talking to amongst our clients I mean I hate to say it's just one or two types of businesses because the truth is it's almost every type of business if you if you take a step back and, and look at any type of business were they impacted from an operational standpoint by COVID restrictions, government orders, or something along those lines? And even a lot of the businesses that we've helped get this money that continuously grew their revenue, their business operation was still impacted by COVID protocols. So I will give you some specifics, but generally speaking, we really every business should go, th- you know, we have a process where we're going to determine if they qualify or not. And it, it takes, you know, between a day to a week usually. It's not that long. Um, but we can either rule it in or rule it out if they have uh, time periods where they're eligible. And I would encourage every business owner, especially if they have 10 or more employees, to at least see if they qualify. Now, which industries qualify as a whole? Um, you know, in, we're in Texas here, so we're, we're looking at what orders were in place here, of course. But there's, um, you know, between the, the GA8, which was know, um, issued on March 20th of 2020, forced all restaurants to close, um, you know, on May 1st, 2020, GA18 allowed those restaurants to reopen at a 25% capacity, you know, GA28 limited restaurant occupancy to 75% through June 29th, 2020, and thereafter it limited it to only 50%, you know, fast forward to um, GA32, it allowed in uh, or dining service restaurants uh, with um, 51% of their revenue from non-alcoholic things to open um, at a 75% occupancy. That was effective October 14th, 2020. And then all the way through GA34. GA34 in Texas was the order that basically eliminated all the occupancy restrictions. So just restaurants, for example, which is one of the biggest industries hit with this, they had occupancy restrictions or fully closed all the way from March 20th, 2020, through uh, March 10th, 2021. So it's pretty safe to assume that every restaurant in the state of Texas qualifies during that period at a bare minimum. And that also applies to bars, gyms, massage parlors, movie theaters, um, food courts, and a plethora of other businesses that, you know, have some similarities. Um, Gotcha. And like any service, um, uh, you know, there, there are... Many people who offer these services, the, you know, some of them more than qualified, some of them less qualified, um, or there's folks that maybe think, well, I did the PPP on my own. Certainly I can do the ERC on my own. What would you say to, to, the, to the complexity of, of the ERC compared to the PPP and, or just that, hey, I'm going to do it myself? I think the biggest thing that speaks to that point is the fact that your CPA probably won't do it for you. And why won't they do it for you? Well, because the CPAs, you know, and, and most CPA firms, you know, let's say they have one to 10 CPAs there. Um, they're not doing this for their clients. Very few of them are. The reason for that is because of how complicated this is. Um, this is not about the income tax code. It's about the payroll tax code. CPAs don't necessarily know that code as far as their normal training. I mean, me personally, I was a certified financial planner for 15 years very dangerous in the accounting world, not a CPA, but it took me 300 hours to learn this stuff. And it is, it is boring, mundane. So like, you know, do I know everything now? Absolutely not. 
Um, do I know enough to help go, you know, take someone through the process? Absolutely. You know, um, so the thing that worries me the most is what I've seen over the last 45 days or so, really starting in like, you know, middle of February, I guess, uh, is I, I follow on Google Alerts, ERC, and like all these different ways. There has been hundreds of companies popping up. We can help you with your ERC, ERC calculator, ERC this, you know, web, you know. And at the end of the day, the thing that scares me is they don't have the person behind the scenes or the people or the process behind the scenes to do this correctly. Like most of these firms, very few of them, if any, will even share the work that they've done for their calculations. And that's what you'd need if you get audited. I mean, I take the exact opposite view. Like we plan as if you're going to get audited. That's my mentality. So with every client, you know, that goes through my mind as we're, you know, documenting everything. But if they were going to get audited, we would need to have every single file, every single uh, piece of evidence and calculation in one document that explained how we determine qualification. You know, prior to that, how do we did, how do we you know make sure we looked at it from a, a control group level, applying the aggregation rules, uh, how we did our calculations. You know, all the filing stuff we did. We provide all that to our clients, and that's because you know we stand by our work. We're doing it the right way. We have nothing to hide. And so if the, if the company you're working with, first of all, if they've taken more than a month, you know, you should have some concerns. They probably don't have someone that can do the work properly. Um, or if you just want a second opinion, you know, feel free to reach out to us. We've done, uh, we've done several reviews for other companies' work, and I've yet to see one done correctly. Wow. Which is sad to say, you know. But. And, you know, the, the ability to just think of, uh, you know, the insurance world, the I'm in the health insurance and, and really all kinds of insurance, you know, doing something the first time versus doing something for the hundredth time. I mean, just think about that as I'm going to do it myself. Well, there's things I'm sure you, you're still learning, right? Every day is you're learning. Yep. I, lo- I learn new stuff about the employee retention credit almost every single day. And whether it's from a source or from Brad, my partner, or from, you know, we have a bunch of different kind of professional alliances with other people in this, in this small world that are experts at it across the country, you know, there's five or six that we really trust and respect. And they, I think it goes, you know, both ways. So we, we're not shy to, he- to reach out to them. Some cases are not fit for us perfectly. So sometimes we'll refer them out, but there's very few there, but we, we very often will refer to other partners and stuff. Yeah. So, I mean, if you're going to try to do this on your own, is it possible? Yes. Um, it's, it's like, and I would bet money on it. You're going to do it wrong and you better hope you better not get audited because you're not going to have this, the proper documentation most likely, um, to, uh, to stand up to the audit. So awesome. And then, uh, a lot of people get myopic in just looking at the revenues. There's this program is a lot more than just where the revenues down in a particular quarter. I mean, there's supply chain mm-hmm. issues. There's, there's, um, you know, contingency as far as making modifications to your business. And, and I know one case where they could only put one driver in a truck you know, uh, during COVID and before it was, they always had two drivers in a truck. So there's, there's some nuances there, I guess, as, as you see the cases. Is that, is that, would you add anything to that as far as my, my simple understanding of that? Well, I would say that's one part where we're really starting to stand out. And what's happening is a lot of the big CPA firms who have de- developed departments to help with ERC, they would help their clients with the gross receipts test, the revenue reduction, but they wouldn't touch the um, government shutdown orders methods because it's a little bit too complex and they're a little bit too conservative to um, feel comfortable doing that. So they started, you know, we're talking big 
top 40 accounting firms, multiple in the country, referring us their clients that did not qualify under the revenue reduction model, but the government shutdown orders model. And the reason why that they feel comfortable with our process is I think p- the biggest part is, is I, every case I do a case study on the business and how the government shutdown orders pertains to or, or, or directly had those shutdowns and in what period. So like it's usually a couple pages long, you know, and basically I give an overview of the business and I really talk about specific government orders, the, the, the limitations in those orders and how that impacted the business. The IRS has came out and with some of their, um, you know, guidance, um, they've basically defined what a nominal impact is, which, you know, their definition to qualify under the government shutdown order is the business has to be um, impacted in more than a nominal way by either a full or partial government shutdown order. Well, they define nominal impact as a 10% or more impact. They did not provide a method to quantify that. So, for example, the last one I did, you know, we looked at a home health business and all the PPE requirements that they had to put into place mm-hmm. on a company-wide basis um, this was actually due to CDC guidelines because there's one of the um, little you know niche rules in this program that that the IRS has provided guidance on again, and it basically says that if you operate a business in multiple multiple locations, you can look at the most stringent government orders for any of those locations and apply it as a company wide policy, and that would be considered a government shutdown order. And they allow you to use guidance, which is not a you know an order; it's guidance from the CDC and uh, DHS to put those company policies in place. This company in particular, you know, they go see people at their homes. So they had screening calls prior to each thing. You know, they would they'd have a person call them to screen them. It took a couple of minutes. You know, they would have to screen them again when they got there. They'd have to put additional PPE on and take it off and cleaning protocols. That in total, we determined added 5.38 minutes to each patient visit. And it took on average prior to the pandemic 30 minutes to do a, a visit. So if you add five, it's 35.38 minutes per visit. That had more than a nominal impact on their business operations because although the revenue grew every quarter, um, they had less patients seen per therapist. So they had mm-hmm. to hire additional therapists to grow. So that's just, that's just an example uh, of that. But there's a lot to it. And, um, you know, we have a COVID questionnaire we use to kind of facilitate that process also. 